Many thanks to Squarespace for their support of today's show, The Cracked Podcast. They are bringing you a podcast because they want to bring you onto the internet with a website, right? Two great things can happen all at the same time. The first one, this one right now. The second, you check out Squarespace's beautiful templates, ability to customize just about anything, and their 24-7 customer support for a website. Head to squarespace.com slash cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ. And I am also, also here to help you feel better about the 2020 election in one specific way. And not the big ones, uh, because politics impacts people's lives and uh, the concrete bad impacts of that are real things that we need to, to focus on and organize against. And that, that's all very, very important. So in order to clear your mind to do that important stuff, I want you to feel better about one thing you don't need to sweat. And that thing is the tone of the 2020 election. All of the tone of it that's negative and all the part that makes you really frustrated with just politics itself, you don't need to be super focused on that or constantly tweeting about it. And to illustrate why, to debunk the myth that you need to worry about it, our topic today is dumb and embarrassing American elections nobody talks about. One more time, that is dumb and embarrassing American elections nobody talks about. This is a history episode. I love history. It's great. And we are looking back at elections, mainly for the presidency, where stupid, silly nonsense and insults and pettiness and even cruelty kind of dominated the discourse of that election. And I think that is a thing that surprises most people, because take it from me, you can get pretty deep into U.S. history classes in school and even in college without learning about stuff beyond the big presidents and the likable elections. You might occasionally hear about one or two elections where things were not above board or seem kind of gross, and I feel like that almost gets held up as proof that all the other ones are normal. In actuality, most of the elections that we've had in the United States have involved some pretty dirty and difficult stuff between the candidates. It's a thing that goes on. It doesn't need to be an enormous surprise because you'll have historical perspective. We had a lot of fun uh, with this show that digs into all kinds of uh, old and recent history. And when I say we, I am referring to two favorite returning guests of this show, The Cracked Podcast. One is comedy writer, director, and more Zach Bornstein. He's written for Jimmy Kimmel Live, Saturday Night Live. He's written recently for Comedy Central's sketch show Alternatino with Arturo Castro, which is particularly excellent and accidentally predicted some Trump stuff in attempting to satirize it, which is amazing. We will have links all about that. And my other guest is a legendary past Cracked columnist, a fantastic comedian, and the host slash leader of the Unpopular Opinion Podcast Network. His name is Adam Todd Brown. ATB remains the person who I think had the most foresight at our website about the rise of Trump. Uh, he saw it coming pretty early on, and he's also done fantastic work on Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton and more presidents uh, with kind of underreported skeletons in their closet. So I'm so glad he's on this one to shed light on all that stuff. I think that's all the setup you need, so please sit back, 
or sit behind the Resolute Desk, which is the name of that desk that's in the Oval Office, you know, the big wooden one. That was a gift uh, from Queen Victoria in 1880, which means it was given to Rutherford B. Hayes, a real, uh, real turd of a president. Not everybody knows that. If you know about the turd ones, you know what to do in the present. But enough calling him a turd. Here's this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Zach Bornstein and Adam Todd Brown. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Adam, Zach, it is almost the actual year 2020 when that actual election is happening. It feels like it's been happening for, I don't know, four or five years, but uh, but it's on the way. It's coming up. As far as like crazy elections, I feel like there's a few we can uh, just like knock off that people actually know. I think people only know that three or four of them were crazy and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like 2000 was crazy. Oh, my God. That was uh, the craziest. 1876, Hayes Tilden is like an American history AP test question. What was it? I don't remember. I failed the AP test. It was uh, Rutherford B. Hayes lost the popular vote, but there was like a backroom deal making him president in exchange for sort of ending Reconstruction and uh, not protecting uh, black people so much in the South. As the oldest person in the room, that's the first election I remember in my life. (laughs) (laughs) He actually voted for Hayes. Uh, Hayes is my big Hayes head. (laughs) I feel like I'm old enough that I've lived through nothing but crazy elections in my life. Every single one has had some degree of... What is happening right now to it? Know which one didn't feel crazy? I think 2012. Maybe I just don't know what was going on. Yeah, but it just felt like it was like Mitt Romney was like you know just like a bag of salt, and then Obama (laughs) just was better, and people like nothing insane happened. Yeah, I kind of feel like both of Obama's elections. Now that I think back on it, like no one thought McCain was going to beat Obama. And it is remarkable in hindsight that like both those feel pretty normal, even though it was like the first black candidate. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the way they proceeded and the way they went was like a relatively normal election. By the book. Yeah. A little bit of lying and a dash of Palin, you know, but it happens. <laughs> yeah. Palin right. was the craziest thing. She didn't even do anything that insane. It was just that she was a little dumb. Yeah, she was just like wildly underqualified in a pretty conventional way. Yes. Like like oh we all we can all tell, right? Great. Like, she seemed yeah. like a a desperate move. Yes. yes. Yeah. But we'd even seen that cuz 84 when Mondale chose Geraldine Ferraro as his running mate. Oh, it was like yeah. All right, Reagan's still going to annihilate you. <laughs> like, that is not going to work. I remember in 2008 when Obama won and we were all freaking out. And I, I just kept going to my friends. And I was like, do you guys realize how, like, historical this is? It's like, do you guys like, get it? And they were like, yeah. It's like, we're celebrating, yeah. too. Why do you keep? <laughs> yeah, even the significance was easy to understand. Yeah. yeah. It was not surprising. And, yeah, so there are a lot of things going on kind of that we don't think about as far as what's an important election or a crazy election, because I, I think it just kind of gets memory hold after a while, unless it's 2016, 2000, uh, this one AP U.S. history uh, election, and that's about it. <laughs> um, especially in terms of the tone of things and the honesty of things, uh, one to look all the way back at is the election of 1800, uh, which is John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Obviously. Uh, Adams is the incumbent. Uh, so this is presidents two and three, folks. It's basically the the first and one of the biggest elections of just pure flat out lying on both sides all of the time. Adams had people putting out handbills saying that Jefferson would destroy Christianity and, quote, prostitutes will preside in the most sanctuaries now devoted to the worship of the most high. That sounds uh, great. 
Yeah. So we'll replace priests with prostitutes when he's president in 1800. That was what he claimed. Adams said that Jeffersonian schools would push the teaching of murder, robbery, rape, adultery, and incest. And Adams claimed that Jefferson was... (laughs) He was promoting that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so like, funny that people would be like, oh, yeah, that guy's that guy's platform is incest. <laughs> like, who would buy that? Who would be like, <laughs> like that someone wants that as a policy? And then Adams also put out a, a claim that Jefferson was a mean-spirited, low-lived fellow, the son of a half-breed Indian squaw sired by a Virginia mulatto father, end quote. <laughs> Harsh. So he he just said, oh, he has completely different parents. Back in 1800, like, I thought it took until Obama for that to be bullshit, people That's said. That's such an you 1800 know? insult. Yeah, like, yeah it feels like something work. people would say more in 1800. And now, like, yeah. when people say it about Obama, it's like, come on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Even McCain was like, when that person said at the debate, like, he's like, yeah. you know, he's not born here or something. Even McCain was like... Okay. Oh, <laughs> simpler times. Simpler oh, my times. God. Oh. <laughs> well, and then uh, the other direction in 1800, Jefferson had people going around saying that Adams, quote, had hideous hermaphroditical character, which has neither the force. <laughs> Wait, in physical or like his attitude? Uh, his attitude. He said, <laughs> what is a hermaphroditic <laughs> attitude? Oh, he's going to say hideous oh, hermaphroditical character, which has neither the force and firmness of a man, nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. He was a metrosexual. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, Can't vote for that guy. And he then, cares about what women think. <laughs> And then Jefferson's main lie was that Adams was just dying to start a war with France. Hmm. He was like, if if Adams gets another term, he's just going to start a war with France. That's all he wants. And that lie was so popular that it probably swung the 1800 election, according to some historians, Hmm. uh, to go toward Jefferson and make him the president. It's crazy because you can pump out lies so much faster than they can be corrected. And there's pretty much no punishment or downside for lies in the political world. But like also we would get we... in trouble, but a, a politician <laughs> just like can just yeah. say whatever the fuck and three weeks later someone will correct them. But yeah, right. <laughs> Are we sure he didn't want to start a war with France? Ooh, there had there had been some conflict, but historians pretty much agree that Adams was not like itching to start one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Interesting. yeah. And, like, and we photo were... of France on his bedroom wall. <laughs> He's like throwing a dagger into it. <laughs> well, and they and France had been our revolutionary war ally like 15 years earlier, you know, so oh, yeah, it was a pretty yeah. wild thing at the time to be like our yeah, chief, our chief ally. It's like yeah, if yeah. a candidate now said, uh, this guy wants to invade Britain. Can you believe it? Like that would be, that would be surprising. Or like that now would be when shocking. our <laughs> president is shitting on all of our allies. So. But yeah, also if shocking. someone said yeah, that, yeah. I'd be like, yeah. Maybe. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's the bold move this country needs to succeed. It's invade England. <laughs> Take down all our allies. <laughs> In that election, Jefferson had a guy named James Callendar, who was his main like lie promoting guy. Uh, and Callendar. I'd like to offer you the job of lie promoting guy. Yeah. <laughs> on his business card. <laughs> right. Somebody has to like block print it. It's really laborious. Um, but and so uh, uh, both because Calendar's lies were enormous and because laws were kind of loose then about personal liberty. He was thrown in jail for slander until 1801 because of what he did in this election. Oh. Um, and then when he got out, he was like, OK, Jefferson, obviously I get like paid or some kind of prize or something. Thing for getting you into office.
office. Jefferson said no. And so then uh, Calendar <laughs> went around and broke the Sally Hemings story in the papers in 1802. What's oh. the Sally Hemings story? Pardon it was that uh, Jefferson and his uh, enslaved person, Sally Hemings, had oh, a relationship and children. Of course, yeah. And, like a uh, hundred, didn't he? Yeah, a ton of descendants. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not a uh, hundred with just her. That would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that whole election was just constant lying and and bullshit and mean things back and forth all of the time. Way back in 1800, like wow. founding fathers were doing this. Wow. Yeah. And since then, it's been squeaky clean. Yeah. Not yeah. a lion's Glad there. we got past all that. <laughs> yeah. People learned their right. lesson. Now it has no pizzazz. <laughs> I'm so mad. <laughs> it's all about the facts now. I want to look a little bit more at further Adam's family stuff. Not the cousin it. folks. Yeah, right. Cousin it ran for uh, House of Representatives <laughs> in Oregon. Because uh, John Quincy Adams is out there. Mm. And I think one of the other things people think is relatively new is like, oh, Bernie Sanders did so well in the primary, but then he got railroaded by superdelegates. And what a novel, terrible new thing that happened. But in the election of 1824, John Quincy Adams is running against Andrew Jackson, And what happens is Andrew Jackson wins 10% more popular votes than John Quincy Adams, a full 10% more. Also, uh, Jackson got the most electoral votes in it, but there were four candidates. Nobody had a total like uh, electoral majority. And that was when it was like first place gets president, second place gets vice president, right? I think they had ironed that out because oh, uh, okay. there was that with Aaron Burr where he tried to steal the presidency in uh, <laughs> from Jefferson as his running mate, which was a whole thing. It's That's crazy. So cr- I mean, that would give had given us a White House that would have been Trump Hillary. Like yeah. Trump president, Hillary vice president, <laughs> which is just so insane to think about. about. The right. worst yeah. of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, for people who don't know, there was a brief period very early on where like one guy would win and then his enemy would be vice president. <laughs> and so, so in 1824, they had ironed that out, but there were four candidates. Nobody had a majority of electoral votes, you know, like the 270 to win sort of concept. And so the 12th Amendment of the Constitution kicked in. And this is an amendment we still have where if nobody gets a majority of the electoral votes, the House of Representatives does a vote just of its members to pick the president. Crazy. And so they did that in 1824. And even though Jackson got 10 percent more popular votes and got the most electoral votes, the fourth place candidate uh, who was not allowed to run in this House vote uh, was the Speaker of the House, Henry Clay. He was a guy from Kentucky who was kind of in charge of the House. And his uh, Kentucky state legislature said, we voted for Jackson, so you need to vote for Jackson. And he said, nope. And Henry Clay threw Kentucky's votes to Adams, made sure the whole House voted for Adams. And so despite getting way less votes, John Quincy Adams is made president. And then he makes Henry Clay secretary of state. Oh, and seems fair. No <laughs> one liked this at all at the time. That's like if in uh, 2016, like Trump and Hillary, like Trump wins, Hillary gets second place and somehow Gary Johnson becomes president. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then makes the guy who made it happen vice president yeah. or something. <laughs> Insane. And so, yeah, so it was uh, this was called like the corrupt bargain at the time. Everyone at the time knew it was very bad and nuts. But we forget that, like, an election can be thrown that far off of the popular will, basically. Except like, I don't, in this last election. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's another one here jumping to the election of 1912, uh, which fits even more the like, uh, Bernie got screwed in the primary sort of narrative. Because in the 1912 Republican primary, you had Teddy Roosevelt deciding to just run again because he was mad at the incumbent, William Howard Taft. And the primary at that time only impacted 12 states. Only 12 states did one and the rest of it just got worked out at the convention, which sounds crazy now because there's much more direct democracy. So 12 states actually held what we think of as like a primary vote. Uh And then the other, all of the rest of the states just sent a delegation to the convention and then the convention figured out who they liked at the convention. So that's not very democratic. you don't even know who is the candidate before the convention. Yeah, until it's a relatively recent thing in American history that the convention is just a party. Like before the convention was where they kind of worked out who each party was going to pick. But so this limited primary in 1912, Teddy Roosevelt won almost all of the states and he had 290 delegates to Taft's 124, which is more than double. And so then what Taft did is he said, "Okay, convention organizers, Roosevelt's guys don't get to sit down and be in the room. And he did that, and then he won the nomination at the convention, just anyway. Wait, why, why could he decide <laughs> that? He pulled strings, and he had enough influence, and then they just seated anti-Roosevelt people from the states that voted for him, which was just a thing they could do at wow. the time. Dirty business. So yeah. we could have done that in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> well, Republicans absolutely could have gone to the convention in 2016 and been like, That's we true, are not actually. nominating Trump. <laughs> we know better. I mean, I remember that yeah. was even a thought that like Ted Cruz might like try yeah. to steal it or like. And oh, yeah. how, how much better we off we would have been <laughs> oh, yeah. had Ted Cruz won that election. <laughs> yeah, it does. It seems like maybe, yeah, they really could have done that if one other candidate had enough support and if any of them had not been obviously gross, you know. Like yeah. if there was a likable supported guy, like if Romney had tried to run again or something. One or- of the, the most memorable tweets of the 2016 election for me was someone who tweeted, Mitt Romney, the streets need you. <laughs> the streets. <laughs> <laughs> he did not come through. <laughs> I mean, this guy sucks, but Jeb would have been that guy. But like nine people like wanted him to be president. Yeah. Spent $150 million on like consultants to just like put an exclamation point after his name. He was the Republican (laughs) Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. Where he was like, oh, I deserve this. It's my it's my time. Absolutely. I'm obviously going to be the Republican nominee. (laughs) It's like, no, you're not. My friend. (laughs) Yib. But my last name. No, sorry. (laughs) There's a few 1800s elections here. Maybe we look at William Henry Harrison. And I think, Zach, you picked this one out because it's like, I think William Henry Harrison is only known for dying very fast. Uh, But people don't know about his election and what he was about and how he went about it. When did he, how early did he die? Uh, Well, he died uh, within like a few weeks of getting inaugurated. So then suddenly his vice president, John Tyler, became president. And there's actually an interesting thing where they didn't totally know that's how the system would work yet. Like uh, John Tyler had to establish a lot of the succession uh, protocols we have today. Got it. Well, yeah. what I love about the story is he he did his inauguration address. It was in the middle of winter. It was snowing. It was freezing out. And he did a two-hour speech in short sleeves and yeah. just was so cocky. And Hell, then, yeah. And then <laughs> a month Bill later. Bill Belichick shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then a month later, he died of pneumonia. <laughs> He's like, look how tough I am. 
I'm not that tough. I'm dead. <laughs> I am. I am now imagining him in that Belichick hoodie with the sleeves cut off. That's really pretty fun. <laughs> but still with the still hood. says Patriots on it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would fit for. Yeah. <laughs> God, that joke works on so many levels. It's so good. He was also. I mean, he was a he was a populist, was he not? Yeah, he was because he was sort of a thing that we think is relatively modern too, where he was a fake populist because uh, mm-hmm. he came from very wealthy Virginia people, and then the like opposition tried to say that he was a dumb bumpkin, and then he was oh, like, yeah. "Oh, I'm going to use that." Great. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's and then it won in the election. <laughs> exactly what happened with Trump that he's like trying to be like, "I'm the man of the coal miners." I mean, that's not his voice, but <laughs> the man of the coal miners. He fucking grew up on a gold toilet. Like this man had like yeah yeah he lives in a golden tower in Manhattan. Yes, his hands are low. <laughs> Literally. Like, it's insane. And then him trying to be the man of the people. And then it used to be every presidential candidate tried to downplay their wealth. They'd always try to be like, no, 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 I'm not that rich. Yeah. No, I'm just you guys. And then he was like, I'm fucking rich. Goodbye, anyone, you people. So rich. That's rich. And then still, even with that, saying he's a man of the people, I just do not understand it. Yeah, it's very strange. Well, and also, Trump did not have the advantage that William Henry Harrison had because he just handed out booze. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, they called him the log cabin and hard cider candidate as an Insult, and then he was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm the log cabin and hard cider candidate." And then right. he would hand out like hard cider in a log cabin shaped bottle, yeah. which honestly sounds so cool. Yeah, yeah, that rules. Yeah, William Henry Harrison was a fake populist and like like buying votes. He also people don't know that he ran as like the hero of the Battle of Tippy Canoe. Like his nickname was Tippy Canoe, uh, but the Battle of, <laughs> of Tippy Canoe was just like a sort of an attack on Native Americans, uh, and they also uh, the U.S. troops kind of did things to Native American graves that were not great. Oh, glad uh, we outgrew all that too. But it, and it was like this small army of less than a thousand guys. It was just like a, a racist stunt sort of, uh-huh. and it got him uh, got him into the White. House. Yeah. yeah. His campaign yeah. slogan was basically, I won the Battle of Tippy Canoe and here is booze. I'm in. Yeah. So we've had a lot of elections that are better than that. That's good. <laughs> Not much. It's really exciting. <laughs> Not like, much better. Um, also, I, I know there's a lot of 1800 stuff, but I want to do one more because it kind of set up some of those people we were talking about. There was a weird thing while Andrew Jackson was president called the Petticoat Affair. And no one, no one knows what this is, especially because petticoats are boring. Lame. Sure. But uh, the uh, Secretary of War for Jackson was a guy named John Eaton. And John Eaton married a widow who was a former tavern maid named Margaret Peggy O'Neill. And when uh, he marries this former tavern maid, all of the other cabinet wives and important wives of the Jackson administration decided that that was too low class and that was uncouth and it was not good. And so led by John C. Calhoun's wife, Floride, that was her name, (laughs) Uh, uh, great teeth. So led by her, they shunned Eaton and his wife from like society events in D.C. Of course, Floride shunned Eaton. (laughs) (laughs) You can send the checks right to my house. Thank you very much. (laughs) There's just money started spitting out of our microphones. I don't know how that happened. And so because of that, basically, it led to argument after argument after argument. And then basically nobody in Jackson's cabinet would talk to each other. And only Jackson and his secretary of state, Martin Van Buren, supported Eaton and everybody else didn't. So Jackson told his entire cabinet to quit, which they did. So we've had like mass cabinet firings way back in the past. Uh, But he told all of them to quit and told Van Buren, like, come back and you'll be my guy in the future. 
And so that changed the whole course of that. And then Van Buren becomes the president in the next uh, next election after Jackson's done. And then from there, Harrison runs against Van Buren. Like the whole, uh, you know, 15, 20 years of U.S. history was shaped by cabinet wives fighting with each other. Wow. That would be a good TV show, Cabinet Wives. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. (laughs) That sounds like a Bravo show. It's a reality show I'd watch for sure. It should be called Cabinet Wives instead of the Petticoat Affair. (laughs) What is a petticoat? uh, Is that a petticoat? It's like an undergarment, but it's from the past, so it's basically an entire piece of clothing. Like, it's not not underwear, you know? But so there was an entire chunk of U.S. history where, because at the time, Jackson's uh, vice president, John C. Calhoun, was, like, clearly the next most powerful guy. He was doing very well. And then his wife got in a fight with other wives, and that was it. Wow. There you go. Cabinet (laughs) Wives, season two. (laughs) Coming this April. (laughs) So that's a lot of the old times. And maybe let's look at uh, uh, modern times as well, because there are even recent elections that are weirdly dumb and embarrassing. And no silly. way. I don't uh, believe that. And uh, let's look at the election of 1980, Reagan and Carter. Oh, what a good time. And we've got a couple stories here. And one of them is about because uh, I think, Zach, you've got it picked out is, is uh, leading into the debate between Reagan and Carter. Yeah. So it seemed like Carter was. Uh, and f- please feel free to jump in because I know you're a, a big Reagan head. <laughs> that's, that's not quite the way to put it. But yes. Huge Reagan fan. He's got the bed sheets. He's got the pillowcase. <laughs> it was, uh, you know. At that point, Reagan was just like a semi-retired B-movie actor. Like, I'm trying to think of a modern equivalent. It's like if Greg it Kinnear would be like, ran it, for president. Yeah, or James Woods or something James like that. Oh, God. Something really. <laughs> like, Greg Kinnear might be cool, but oh, yeah, James yeah. Woods running for president would be such a disaster. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, James Woods against just like incum- against Obama. That was a, like, it was yeah. an incumbent president. And it seemed like it was, you know, Carter was going to win. But then right before the debate, well, let's go to the debate. And all of a sudden, Reagan just has all these like piffy zingers. Then yeah. they're just like perfectly knocking back everything Carter is saying. And Carter's just getting banged up. And then it's found out later that Carter had left his notebook and Reagan's team had found it. And then <laughs> within the time before the debate, they had written a bunch of perfect piffy zingers, just like perfectly antibody Carter's uh, all his points. Crazy. Which is fine to me. <laughs> like in terms of all the all the horrible things Reagan did, that's way, way down the list. Honestly, it's impressive sure. writing. Like if I just had like everything you were going to say, like a book of like 100 pages, I don't know if I could write perfect piffy zingers to like hit them all back. Yeah. yeah. It was no guarantee that Eminem was going to win that battle at the end of 8 Mile just because he knew <laughs> Clarence's parents had a real good marriage. <laughs> like you still have to write the appropriate punchlines and things to win that. Bravo. Bravo. Thank you. You guys, there are gold bullions shooting out of your mic now. (laughs) But yeah, like, I don't know what we would expect Reagan to do in that situation. Like, I would hope had Jimmy Carter found Reagan's notebook, he would have been like, oh, well, this is how we win this debate, obviously. Reagan's not going to give it back. (laughs) Because it's worth making clear, like, how complete this notebook of stuff was. Like, Carter's whole team had put together uh, briefings of every policy he wanted to talk about. Also, the entire debate strategy and specific zingers that Carter was going to say for each thing he wanted to talk about. Plus nude photos. (laughs) (laughs) Reagan's like, I am white. (laughs) 
No, he wasn't going to bring that up, you weirdo. <laughs> Reagan versions of Eminem raps as a thing. I would like delivered to me in dro- over Dropbox, please. Uh, someone. <laughs> I would love it if someone found like Trump's, you know, notebook before the debate, and it's just like all like self portraits, like in crayon. Oh no, this isn't helpful. <laughs> I'm sure Carter's team worked very hard and professionally on it. So it was it was like there was just a script for former actor Ronald Reagan to perform against. Like it's 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 over. It's done. And it was also for some reason in that election, there were only two planned debates. And because a third party candidate, John Anderson, was booked for the first one, Carter sat it out. So it meant that the second and final debate between Reagan and Carter was the only real debate. And it was Mm. on October 28th of that year. So like a week before election day approximately they're just watching reagan take carter to the cleaners and uh, that probably threw the election remember when debates still mattered i feel like with hillary versus trump it was like no one's convinced maybe there's like nine people like ken bone and like nine other people are like at the fringes (laughs) being like i haven't made up my mind (laughs) like at that point we knew trump was a rapist he had like made fun of a disabled reporter he'd called mexicans racist like you knew who he was yeah access hollywood tape was out yeah like and then yeah you know hillary's hillary you know for better or for worse and who was swayed by that at that point yeah, that does seem relatively new in American history that there is no reason to be undecided. Like in the past, you only have a couple newspapers coming to you a year and yeah. like you, you barely know about these guys. You can't look them up. Like now it's astonishing. Yeah, people are. Like the problem with debates now, too, is it's not really about the issues. It's about who's the best showman. And yes. Trump is always going to be that when yeah. he's on a debate stage. And I feel like that's. A thing the Democrats need but don't realize they need in 2020 is we need a solid politician with solid plans and campaign promises. But they also kind of need to be like a roast battle comic (laughs) who can really hand it to Trump in a debate. And I don't know if anyone running right now is that. I think Bernie won the Comedy Central roast last year. I mean, he did, but Comedy Central like screwed him out of it and gave it to Hillary. He does like musical roast. He like busts out a guitar. (laughs) That's what we need. (laughs) And also this, uh, this story we talked about with Reagan and Carter's debate notes, it did become public, but not until 1983. So Reagan was almost done with his first term. It was already over. And that when, of course, Adam, you alluded to like this debate notes thing is way below the other Reagan crimes because uh, you've done a lot of writing and podcasting about uh, Reagan being just underrated as a maniac. You could argue that Reagan started both the homelessness crisis and the crack epidemic in this yeah. country with the crack thing you have to like kind of take a conspiracy theorist angle to it to support that idea but not the homelessness problem like he started deinstitutionalization as governor of california and tested it out here and was like oh that's terrible let's make it nationwide and when he became president deinstitutionalization happened and now there's nowhere for people with mental issues to go to seek treatment for that. Like we shuttered that capability in this country. And now we have a burgeoning homelessness crisis that is all Reagan's fault. Yeah. But think of the tax breaks. Good point. (laughs) Good point. And how trickle down economics like really saved us in the eighties. Yeah. Still dripping down on us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's I can't walk out my door without economics dripping on my head. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. What is that? It's like air conditioner fluid. Oh my God. (laughs) 
Thank you, rich people. <laughs> well, and then, and then, like a past crack column you did about him, you pick out that there's like you can still find campaign buttons for Reagan Bush that say "Let's make America great again." Yeah, on them. Yeah. That's the that was his 1980 like, campaign slogan was "Let's make America great again." Yeah, mm-hmm. and Trump just dropped the "Let's" and mm. which is maybe sharper. Just yeah, ran. With, yeah, it's probably better. Yeah, yeah. El uh, Maga. <laughs> <laughs> Because also, I, I feel like Reagan really formatted the next decade or two. Like, like Democrats succeeded by pretending to kind of be Republican, like Clinton did, you know? Yeah. And in 1988, Reagan was wrapping out, uh, but we had George H.W. Bush and Dukakis. And, uh, and I think, Adam, you picked out a few things about this 88 election that is, I think, pretty forgotten, except for the tank photo. That's like the one. I think the Willie Horton thing. But yeah, the, the 88 election, like Michael Dukakis, I was old enough. Like at that time, I would have been 11, 12. So I was old enough at that time to be like, oh, Michael Dukakis is going to be our next president. And oh, no. I didn't really care, <laughs> but I was like, well, that's clearly where this is heading. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining such a sweet, excited little boy. Like, I, I know. Do it. <laughs> and then he gets hit with this triangle offense of <laughs> racism, tank memes. One of the things Michael Dukakis lost over was there was this suggestion that at some point in the past, he had maybe taken antidepressants. And everyone was like, do you really want that guy yeah. running the country? And at one point, Reagan's giving a press conference and they ask about that. And he goes, look, I'm not going to comment because I don't want to pick on an invalid. Yeah. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> oh my God. Because he maybe took an antidepressant and he didn't. Like he had to release his actual medical records and like major media outlets poured over his medical records and reported that like, no, he took antihistamines and things. He never took (laughs) antidepressants. And I think what they were trying to do was get Kitty Dukakis entered into the conversation because Kitty Dukakis was a mess. In 89, it came out that she was hospitalized because she drank rubbing alcohol. And she drank rubbing alcohol because her family had removed all the alcohol from the house because she was undergoing alcoholism treatment. And she was like, you didn't find it all. (laughs) And like drank rubbing alcohol. Does that get you drunk, rubbing alcohol? I mean, it's poison. It'll get you drunk, but like not in the right way. And I think they were trying to get her story into... The conversation, mm, yeah, which is actually kind of a sign that things were there was at least a little more decorum back then, because now, like if Dukakis was running, Trump would just be like, you trust this guy who married this fucking crazy woman who drinks rubbing right. alcohol? He would just say like it. that would be day one. He would bring it up. Yeah. And Kitty Dukakis barely came up in the 88 election. And they tried to get it into the story by saying this dude took antidepressants. What a weirdo. I mean, it didn't work, but it worked because he lost. But yeah, there was also the tank photo. What's this tank photo? I don't know about this. One of the things that actually cost Michael Dukakis the election is at one point he visited an army base or a military base and rode in a tank. And when you ride in a tank, you have to wear a helmet. I don't know why. It's a tank. But (laughs) he uh, and there were all these pictures of him standing in the uh, doorway of this tank wearing this helmet while it's riding. And Republicans were like, he looks goofy in that helmet, doesn't he? And America was like, 
Yeah, he sure does. (laughs) He looks weird in that helmet. And it's like, I haven't been within 15 feet of an actual tank. He was in one wearing a helmet and people are like, dork. (laughs) Was it just one really bad photo? Yes. It was one photo. Think about how many just bad photos there are of Trump. Like there's like the big booty tennis one. There's like the hair flying (laughs) every time he goes up the steps. There's the. Yeah, it was the age where a, a gaffe still mattered. And now it's like that thing where science says, well, if you have too many choices for something like it kind of just makes you depressed and you're not like you should have fewer Mm. like Netflix should have like 15 shows a month and you should be able to choose between those. It would make you happier. And now it's like there's so many gaffes. The other thing that lost Dukakis that election was the Willie Horton ad, which I think a lot of people probably Remember, but basically Michael Dukakis supported this program where convicted felons could get out, like get weekend furloughs. And this one guy named Willie Horton on one of those weekend furloughs raped and murdered. And people were like, oh, Michael Dukakis is soft on crime. And also it was if you watch the Willie Horton ad. It's very racist. Like it's it's yes. basically the Republicans saying, well, if Michael Dukakis is president, black people are going to run rampant on the streets and mm. kill your white wives. Yeah. And they was, also they ran a second ad about the revolving door. Yeah. It was like a, a theme that there are going to be a bunch of these guys. And that Willie Horton ad set up what I would argue is the single craziest moment in any debate. <laughs> there is an 88 <laughs> debate yeah. between Dukakis and Bush. That literally opens with the question to Michael Dukakis, if Kitty Dukakis was raped and murdered, would you want the death penalty for the person who did it? And he partially lost because he was like, no. Yeah. And here's the thing. That's the right answer. If you're running (laughs) on an anti-death penalty platform and someone hits you with that question, you are supposed to say no. Because I believe the death penalty is wrong. And he did the right thing and said no. And people were like, pussy. Right. (laughs) Like, why wouldn't you want the guy who raped and murdered your wife murdered? And he's like, that's not what I'm running on, pal. Like, what an unfair question. They didn't pose that to Bush. Yeah. And because I I didn't know about it until you sent over, like, there's a clip of it that we'll link to where it's a CNN anchor who he is finishing saying, and those are the rules of the debate. The first question is to Dukakis. Here's the question. (laughs) Oh, my God. And it's (laughs) fucking crazy. It's It's nuts. There goes all my zingers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and because also I was looking more, it was a CNN anchor named Bernard Shaw. And apparently he prided himself on like hard hitting questions. And so he was like, before the debate i'll prep one hard question for each candidate but his planned hard question for bush was if something happened to you and you died would you be confident with dan quayle becoming the president <laughs> jesus christ that's not a hard question you that's, just say yes that's not a yeah you that, just say your running mate would be great that's all you have to do it's like hey compliment your running mate or talk about like a like an honor killing yeah like, that was a it was a 100 a trap question yeah because he couldn't say No, because then people would be like, well, you're campaigning on abolishing the death penalty. And you just said no. Right. You're not like, why is it so different when it's personal for you? Yeah. So he said yes. And people are like, you don't love your wife. And it's such an insane question that like hangs over the entire rest of the debate night. Yeah. Like the whole audience will just be still thinking about that as you try to say anything else about your (laughs) platform or your anything. (laughs) Yeah, it was nuts. We're doing tax credits, I guess. Um, (laughs) 
for like a farmers. I don't know, Jesus. Yeah, you also, just made me imagine the worst. Your thing wife that was murdered. Would you give that man a tax credit? <laughs> what? Uh, so people would just do this, and it didn't like stop the country. Nobody was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Elections shouldn't be like this. Yeah. And they're still doing it to this day. I think the rest of these stories all have some kind of sexual component along the way somewhere. Uh, So maybe. Welcome to Cracked Triple X. Many thanks to the folks at Squarespace for their support of today's show, The Cracked Podcast. They want to bring this to you because they want to bring an entire website to your life. You want to have a website that looks great, that works great, that fits every device and system and purpose, but most people don't have their own website. Or maybe they have a business that doesn't have a website yet. Or a writing thing that they do that just isn't online yet. It's sitting in a, a drawer or or some other non-internet analog sort of space. Terrible. Publish it. Get a website. How does all that work? It's very, very simple if you use Squarespace. If you don't, it's super confusing and hard. But Squarespace makes it easier than ever with beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Their e-commerce functionality helps you sell things if that's what you're doing. Their analytics help you grow your website in real time if that's a thing you'd like to do. And, and you probably do. We always want to grow our website. And your website will be optimized for mobile right out of the box. So whether people are using a phone or a tablet or probably some upcoming smartwatch that you can read the internet with, we'll see what happens. Whatever happens, Squarespace will be on top of it. So why don't you get on top of how great their service is? Head to squarespace.com slash cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash cracked. Offer code cracked. But let's go chronologically. We've got the election of 1884. Uh, which nobody remembers uh, because it was Grover Cleveland uh, running for the first time. He hadn't been president yet uh, against James G. Blaine of the state of Maine. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Democrat. Oh, Maine, Maine Blaine. James G. Blaine. <laughs> I'm from the state of Maine. That was his, uh, his walk-on song, I think. Yeah. Well, so in the election of 1884, a story breaks that 10 years earlier in 1874, a woman in Buffalo named Maria Halpin gave birth And she claimed that Buffalo mayor, I believe at the time, Grover Cleveland, uh, was the father. That was her claim. And then the story was that Cleveland tried to suppress this by getting her put in an insane asylum. And she was briefly in there. And so then what happened is Cleveland did what was perceived to be the right thing, which he said, yes, the child is mine. And I've been supporting her financially this whole time. Uh, And the other stuff's true. Don't worry about it. Uh, But also that woman has to stay in the insane asylum. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And in the process of that, basically put out a story that she was sleeping with everybody. So I was kind of helping the community because there were some other married men who she claimed was the father. And I dealt with it, you know, so basically it was a whole narrative of, yes, this woman's crazy. Absolutely. Like that was how he dealt with it. Oh, my God. And uh, as the campaign went on, the opponents of Cleveland created a chant that went, ma, ma, where's my pa? And so there was just all this paternity stuff uh, throughout the election. It was very gross. It's like a Maury episode. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> and then Cleveland wins. And then his supporters, instead of uh, like, you know, feeling any sadness about how it went, changed the chant to Mama, where's my pa? Gone to the White House. Ha ha ha. <laughs> that was 
And as far as people have been able to suss out and source, not only was uh, Maria Halpin more of a regular lady who just had this child out of wedlock and then all this horrible stuff happened to her, but Halpin's story was that uh, the sex with Cleveland was not consensual. And it was actually Cleveland uh, attacking her. Jeez. Uh, so that was going on then. And then his opponent, James G. Blaine. Did that come out while he was president? She claimed it and no one cared, basically. Ugh. So basically that has never been enough to get a president not elected. Yeah. So it's not new, I guess. Yeah. Because that came out know? before Trump was elected, too. Many yeah, times yeah. over. He yeah. admitted to it. We're like, the science is still <laughs> out. <laughs> well, and then and so then this election is grosser in 1884 because opponent James G. Blaine was he had been the Speaker of the House and then a senator. And he was basically really well known for trading votes for money. It was like his main thing and also known for like owning a railroad company and then passing laws that benefited the railroad company. <laughs> so it was like a gross sex person versus a, a like a, a corrupt person. And that was the race. That was what you Jeez. got in 1884. Nice. And then uh, in the election of 1920, both parties wanted to run somebody else. There's a, a new election here, 1920. The Democrats wanted to run Woodrow Wilson for a third term, even though he had had a horrible stroke the previous term and was basically incapacitated. But did uh, the public know that? It was kept pretty secret, yeah. But How do you also keep a stroke secret. So his wife like handled day to day business, and then there were no cameras, and nobody they like didn't let anybody look at him. And the few pictures there are, he has a huge beard, and the public was just like, I guess he's a beard guy now. Cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, so they wanted to run Wilson, but he wouldn't. And it also would have been a third term, which was unusual. And then the Republicans wanted to run Teddy Roosevelt, but he dies in 1919, so you mm. can't do that. Run him anyway. And so both <laughs> weekend yeah, sure. at Bernie's him. Yeah. <laughs> and so. So both parties kind of have nobody lined up. And so both parties in 1920 just kind of pick a guy from Ohio because Ohio has a lot of electoral votes. That was the entire reason both of them got picked. Uh, <laughs> so it was two white men from Ohio running against each other. In, That's pretty uh, much every election. Yeah, right. in 1920? <laughs> Come on. And also, 1920 was the first election with women's suffrage nationally. Uh, we talked on a recent episode about how a lot of Western states gave it to women much earlier. But, but could they sure. vote in the national election? Like, could they vote for president if it was just states deciding? Yeah, so a lot of states, and it was some Western states as early as the 1870s, let women just go ahead and vote in elections, including for president. And so uh, 1920 is the first one where, like, women can finally vote nationally, and it's just two guys from Ohio chosen for purely canny purposes or their choices. <laughs> uh, and then the winner of that election is Warren G. Harding, who ran on a campaign called Return to Normalcy, and normalcy meant no more progressive stuff. No more. That's, We're a, just, yeah. that's like the old timey version of make America great again. Of yeah. Return to normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. And like the war is already over, so you don't need to run on that. And then also no more progressive stuff. Yeah. That was his whole thing. And he proceeded to win and end one affair he was in because the lady tried to blackmail him and then start another affair while in the White House. And he reportedly had sex in a White House closet with her while the Secret Service kind of watched and kept the coast clear. Wow. Uh, and then he also did a bunch of uh, corruption scandals and died in office. That was the guy we got. I legitimately think Warren G. Harding's wife killed him. But he cheated on Warren, her so many times. Exact, oh, wait, that fits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he was just an incompetent boob. Yeah. And she was like an alpha wolf. Like his <laughs> wife did not handle men like Warren G. Harding well. Mm. Like she wanted someone a little more motivated and driven, which is crazy because he was president. Yeah. Like you can't get much better. But even in oh, office. Oh, you won't get off the couch and do anything. Like even in office, she was like. 
you could be doing more. Wow. And instead he was like, no, I have pneumonia and I'm probably going to die. And she's like, let's <laughs> right. take a trip to the West Coast. <laughs> and then he died. I see yeah. in the notes that the opponent, the other guy, was a socialist candidate, Eugene V. Debs. Who oh, was that forced- was a third party candidate. Oh, yeah. oh, why was he in jail? So, so then also for being a socialist. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. So, 1920, we've got uh, Warren G. Harding, the Republican, James M. Cox, the Democrat, both just Ohio guys. And then Eugene Debs was the Socialist Party candidate, and he had been jailed a year or two before for uh, protesting World War One and oh. telling people to not get drafted. And there were laws. The end of World War One in the U.S. There were basically a bunch of laws where you don't have freedom of speech. And so he was thrown in jail for uh, saying that we should not be in the war. Uh, And then he goes ahead and runs for president from jail. He had run in a few elections before, but he went ahead and did this one from his jail cell and still got almost a million votes because people were excited about what he had to say about socialism. I think that's cool. It's like cool in spite of what he was put through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. He shouldn't be in jail. (laughs) How do you even run from jail? Was it because there's no like he can't give like interviews. He just have to like write letters from jail or like. Yeah. So because it's also it's relatively new that people are expected to campaign super hard anyway. And so back in the day, a few of the people we've talked about here and I I think including Harding, but we'll footnote it. uh, They would do a front porch campaign, which is where you just sit at your house and people come to you. Uh, oh, and that's that it. That's nice. all you do. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, candidates used to campaign together back in the day. Yeah. Like opponents would? <laughs> yeah. They would just get on the same train. For efficiency, yeah. Show up wow. in the same city and be like, who do you like the best? Yeah, oh yeah. My God. Or like their trains would kind of cross, you know, because yeah. they were just kind of, you know, not trying Jeez. to. Jeez. Yeah. And no planes, obviously. And then Harding, I would believe that his wife was very angry with him because, like, we can't understate these affairs. Harding had an affair with Carrie Fulton Phillips for 15 years. And then in 1920, when he's going to move from the Senate to the presidency, she starts to blackmail him. And so then Harding has to go to his party in the middle of the election and say, look, uh, this lady's blackmailing me. I super had an affair with her. She has hundreds of letters I from me. I super had an affair with her? That's how he spoke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Direct quote he from was, millennial Harding. <laughs> just a monument of him with quotes like, totes my goats. And like, it is stupid. <laughs> but, and Harding said, she has hundreds of letters from me, many of them on Senate stationery. And then after he finally breaks this off and they, depending on who you read, kind of kind of paid her off. Then he starts a whole new affair with Nan Britton and has a daughter with her who is born, uh, I believe, right after his death. Wow. And has sex with her in the White House. Yeah. He was a character. Yeah. I bet like most of the presidents did that shit. And just like some of them have come out and the other ones just kept it secret. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also and then we can move to 2004. An election that I think we all kind of memory hold for the most part because, oh, you know, Bush got reelected. Who cares? Uh, But there's sex stuff and a lot of other stuff about that election to talk about. 2016 included. 2004 is the most scandalous U.S. election to me because of what happened in Ohio. It's very obvious Ohio was stolen for George W. Bush. And there's been all sorts of evidence and documents and things that have come out since then pointing to that. And we're still just like, eh, 
whatever. And like the key thing to to foreground all of it is that either way, we know Kerry lost the popular vote by at least a little bit. Like that's that's pretty sad. But if he had won the state of Ohio, Kerry would have got 271 electoral votes, which is just Uh, barely enough to win. You do you do win if he would have gotten a sort of like other past presidents thing where he lost the popular vote. But one. Yeah. If you go back and look at like especially the was it secretary of state of Ohio at the time, Ken Blackwell, just adamantly pro Bush, (laughs) which when you're in charge of the presidential election in your state, that's a problem. Like that is a huge problem when the person running the election is so adamantly in favor of one opponent. And if you look into the numbers, one of the things Blackwell did, there was a purging of 133,000 mostly Democratic voters from the rolls and the non-counting of 92,000 ballots rejected by voting machines as unreadable. Bush won Ohio by 119,000 votes. Those Mm. two things alone are enough that it could have swung the election for Bush. Yeah, because those two are well over 200,000 votes that they're getting rid of ballots on. Yeah. And when you get into like the different districts, there's just all this weirdness where like there's one example in here where like a third party candidate gets way more votes than either Bush or Kerry. Yeah. And it's like that wouldn't happen in real life. There were the way Republicans set up the polling stations in Ohio during that election. They were all in Republican areas. They were hard to get to. The lines were crazy long. And all of that went toward keeping Democratic voters from voting. And that absolutely swung that election for Bush. If Bush doesn't win Ohio, he loses that election. And we were just like, yeah, maybe that happened, but what can we do? Yeah. (laughs) And what can (laughs) we do? Like it happened in 2000. Like we don't have 2000 on the list because everyone knows what happened in 2000. Yes. Yeah. But the Supreme Court gave George Bush the election in 2000. They were just like, we're tired of talking about this. Bush wins. And And it's like, really? And with 2000, we know that, like, we think of Florida state government as being completely in his direction, including, I believe, his brother being the governor. But 2004, we don't think of Ohio in that same way, even though there was a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah, like with 2016, we could have read those Facebook posts from Russians and been like, shut up. We (laughs) don't believe you. 2004 was completely out of our control. There was no campaigning Kerry could have done to avoid what happened in Ohio. And there's like... Because we didn't push the issue hard enough, there's no proof that it happened. Like, yeah. George Bush probably stole that election. Because we've got, and we've got a couple sources for for the Ohio shenanigans in that election. One is a Vanity Fair piece by Christopher Hitchens, and it, it was in 2006 he wrote it. So it's it's all over already. What do you do? But he said he basically documents how most Ohio voting was with voting machines with no paper backup. Oh, uh, so God. if things were counted weird or came out weird, there's just nothing you can do. And there were really bizarre results from those ballots, like how in 12 separate Ohio counties, most voters who voted Democrat voted for things like state Supreme Court candidates, but did not vote for president. Uh, that there were hundreds, <laughs> hundreds or thousands of votes that went that way in 12 separate counties in Ohio, uh, which is not how uh, voters vote. If they skip anything, it's down ballots. Yeah. There were also a bunch of precincts. Uh, like you said, Adam, there were uh, particularly majority black precincts in Cleveland where there was just a massive third party vote that doesn't make any sense. Uh, one example precinct is one that voted 290 votes for Kerry 
21 votes for Bush, and then 215 votes, so almost as many as Kerry, 215 votes for Constitution Party candidate Michael Parotka. <laughs> yeah, And sure. the Constitution Party is like a third party that believes Republicans aren't conservative enough. Like, oh. he, he was not the choice of probably a black Cleveland person in 2004. Th- this kind of stuff makes my blood boil, like more than almost anything, of like the, just like, just how easy it is to steal elections like that. And yeah. like, just if... Gore or Kerry had won in those years. Those were like the last few years we had to prevent global warming. And now we're just all going to live in a Mad Max world in like 2028 because of just like one motherfucker in Ohio or just like some like ballot people in Florida. And it just like, I don't know. It just makes my blood boil so much. What really bothers me or worries me about the 2004 election is everyone kind of expected Bush to lose, but we were at war. So the election happens and Bush wins and people are like, nah, hard to beat a war president. Right. And it's like, yeah, especially if he steals the state of Ohio. (laughs) And now forever and ever and ever going forward, anytime we're at war, the nation is just going to throw their hands up and be like, well, we can't win this election because we're at war. So like as long as Trump starts a war by 2020, Mm. no matter what he does to win, we're just going to write it off as can't beat a wartime president. Bullshit. That's just a you narrative beat to a wartime. cover yeah. fraud. Yeah. Yeah. So now anytime we're at war, you can just steal an election and we'll be like, eh, can't beat a wartime president. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because yeah, we don't let ourselves beat wartime presidents. And when we look back on 2004, I think we just think about stuff like the wartime thing you mentioned, Adam, and then also stuff like, oh, well, Kerry got swift boated. And uh, what do you do? Like one party shitting on a veteran. Uh, that's just how it works. Well, yeah. We should probably be upset about it. That's yeah, another tone thing that we should really work on. Party of patriots routinely votes for people who disrespect the military. Yeah. For people who are, I guess, maybe super young or something and don't know, like there was a uh, Swift Boat Veterans for Truth was the name of the group. And they put out an attack ad on John Kerry saying that his, uh, I believe, medal winning Vietnam service was not actually difficult and, and kind of. Yeah. Fake. And I feel like that was kind of the first moment in history where ads like that were put out by people other than the presidential candidate. Like Bush didn't put that ad out. It was Swift Boat Veterans for Truth. So Bush could be like, eh, wasn't me. Sorry. But you know they're consulting on (laughs) that. Oh, absolutely. They're helping craft that message and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's helping with the avid edit on it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then also there's one other crazy 2004 election thing, which also ties into 08, which is John Edwards. I think everybody's kind of forgotten how close we came twice to John Edwards being the vice president of the United States because he was Kerry's running mate in 04. And he was also a uh, North Carolina political figure who was like a rising star in the Democratic Party. So he doesn't get elected VP in 2004, but then he runs for president in 08. He finishes second in the Iowa caucuses and then from there drops out, but is widely reported to be leading polls to be Obama's VP pick as late as June of 2008. And then the Congressional Black Caucus has him on a short list of three people for Obama's running mate. And then uh, there are other reports saying, like, if he's not vice president, he'll definitely be attorney general. Like, whatever happens, John Edwards, new leader of the party. And meanwhile, he's having a pretty major affair and uh, a child comes out of it. And that's just kind of cooking at the same time going on. Yeah. But we all forgot. Horrible use of cooking, Alex. Yeah, really bad. (laughs) Uh, That was too vivid. (laughs) He was cooking babies. (laughs) And it cost him the election. 
when you look at stuff like that through the lens of 2016, none of it even matters. Like, yeah, it's true. John Edwards cheated on his wife. She was, I think, dying at the time. She had cancer. Yes. I'd still elect him over Bush. Like, I would would very much rather have had John Edwards running the country than George W. Bush. Look who we have now. And I feel like a lot of it comes out of like the Clinton scandal and the John Edwards thing and people on the left being like, what's it matter? In other countries, they don't care about this. And it's like, all right, let's follow that thread to its logical conclusion. Now we have Trump in office. Like, are you happy? Now we don't care about sex scandals. We have a rapist in the office. Congratulations. It's such a no win situation. You elect John Edwards and you have an adulterer in the office or you don't elect him and now you have a rapist in office. Even even beyond that, it's just like the Stormy Daniels stuff is a thousand times worse than (laughs) anything Edwards. I'm not defending Edwards at all. I'm just like, but it's just like in terms of scale, paying hush money to a porn star, multiple porn stars, and then lying (laughs) about it using campaign funds that you're people had donated to you. Like, it's just like crimes yeah. to cover crimes to cover crimes. Yeah. And, it, you know, Edwards at least, you know, came clean about it and stuff, not defending it at all, but it's just orders of magnitude worse. Yeah, if it was yeah. the 90s and Trump was a Democrat, Republicans would impeach him for the Stormy Daniels thing. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. oh in a heartbeat. It is also the, the scale is larger than the Lewinsky thing, sure. Yeah. So like, much larger. Yeah. yeah. The whole Edwards affair, it starts when in 2000, February 2006, he meets documentary filmmaker Riel Hunter and says, why don't you make webisodes about my, that was really the plan, uh, why don't you make webisodes about my march to the 2008 nomination? Won't that be fun? And then he has an affair with her. Like, that's the lady. Mm. Uh, that's then, what the webisodes are. Yeah. <laughs> Very explicit. <laughs> would have been exciting. exciting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how he thought he was going to survive that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and so then throughout his campaign, he's forcing a key staffer who's also a personal friend and also a married man named Andrew Young to claim to be the one partnered with Hunt and claim to be the father of the baby she's clearly about to have because then she has a baby in February of 2008 that is Edward's child. And meanwhile, Edward's is still running for president, like Mm -hmm. just still doing it (laughs) and still trying to be vice president. And it only all finally breaks down when in July of 2008, the National Enquirer catches Edward's visiting Hunter and the child. Uh Uh, And the National Enquirer had apparently been on the story kind of the whole time. If you're not friends with them, they really go after you. Yeah. Yeah. The National Enquirer should be abolished. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Well, like, (laughs) think about, like, we talk about, oh, they broke the John Edwards story. They ruined him. They also sat on dozens of similar stories about Trump and killed those stories. Yeah, like The National Enquirer actively influences our elections. And I am 100% serious when I say they should be shut down. And just imagine how many stories they get that they then extort the person it's about, try to see if they can get money to kill it. Yeah. And then we just never hear about it. Yeah. I I mean, anytime there's a celebrity story they get, anytime there's a politician story they get, they probably ask for money first. Yeah. Because also it seems like a few people buy copies of it, but I think their main business model is to just be on newsstands and then threaten people behind the scenes. (laughs) Like that seems to be what they do. We're almost out of time, but I want to do one more uh, story here, also from 2004, that uh, this is uh, the story of the U.S. Senate race in Illinois in 2004. 
because a person you may have heard of named Barack Obama uh, was a state senator in Illinois at the time and decides, I'm going to run for the open Senate seat. I'm going to do it. And he wins the Democratic primary. He gets to speak at the Democratic National Convention. And yet he has competition. And so he actually has somebody who's uh, running pretty tight with him, a guy named Jack Ryan, not the Tom Clancy character. No. Either of you want to talk about Jack Ryan and, and who he is and what he was about as a Republican? Coughing up the notes you gave us. I'm going to tell you about <laughs> Jack Ryan. Republican, handsome, likable guy. He quit Goldman Sachs to teach underprivileged kids on Chicago's South Side. What a dream boat. Yeah. A twist. Alex's words. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can say this stuff. A court <laughs> unsealed Ryan's divorce records in June 2004, and they uh, showed that Jack Ryan and his ex-wife, Jerry Ryan, who was seven of nine on Star Trek Voyager, they were public sex freaks. <laughs> and uh, said yeah. that in his divorce papers, <laughs> public sex freaks. Yeah, it was a thing. So this guy, Jack Ryan, he was married to the actress, Jerry Ryan, who you folks may know as the part Borg character, Seven of Nine from Voyager or yeah. from, uh, I believe, Boston Public, other mm. TV shows. And Jack would pressure Jerry Ryan to have public sex with him in New York City sex clubs, including one with, quote, a bizarre club with cages, whips and other apparatus hanging from the ceiling. Both Jack and Jerry had asked the judge to keep this stuff private because they have a young child, and the judge just released it anyway. Isn't uh, that illegal on the judge's part? I mean, that's that's a big question about a lot of things, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, I if see. a judge says it, uh, what do you do? And also, this all only came out because Ryan's Republican primary opponents demanded that it be put out. And then they lost anyway, but it came out later. <laughs> uh, my, my favorite part of the story is that after he dropped out, they're like, we need someone to take on Obama. And they uh, were trying to get Mike Ditka to do it. Yeah. Mike so Ditka. that happened next. The Republicans were like, we lost our candidate at the end of July. The election's in November. Who do people already know? And they tried to get <laughs> legendary Chicago Bears football coach and tight end Mike Ditka. Mike to run. Woof. And Adam, we're from Illinois. How would Mike Ditka do in an election if he went for it? In Illinois? Yeah. Probably pretty well. Yeah, he would steamroll. Yeah. And <laughs> that would be such a nightmare. <laughs> he coached the 1985 Bears to a Super Bowl and is basically still the most popular person in Illinois, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean... Jordan's up there. Michael Jordan. Yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Ditka would have probably done really well. Like, it would have been... A precursor to Trump, obviously. Yep. So I'm gross. really glad Ditka didn't run. Oh. Yeah, he chose not to is why he didn't run. We've got a link to a CBS sports piece where Ditka has later said, I would have won, uh, which is <laughs> fun, I guess. I don't know why he's bothering. So then the guy they got was a guy named Alan Keyes who lost by 70% to 27% to Obama. And then from there, we have Obama as a senator and then a president. And then in 2008, there's a few years left on that Senate term Obama won. And Rod Blagojevich tries to sell it. To whom? Uh, anybody. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, it's just on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then uh, coming out of this, there was tape in 2008 of Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich telling someone that the Senate seat was fucking gold, was what he called it, <laughs> and that they needed to sell it for power and money. Uh, wow. And so then he is convicted of crimes. For oh, that. good. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's illegal in Illinois. <laughs> and he's going to get out of jail soon and win again. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Does he still That's got that hair? 
I think so. That. It, he did a lot of work on it, clearly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But with, with all these elections, like, I feel like a few of them have, like, actual process things that everybody needed to be mad about. But almost all of them are about just the tone and the things people focused on were silly or weird or gross. You know, like, I, I feel like we don't need to be shocked when an American election has that stuff. We can be upset, but it shouldn't like, yeah. bowl us over, you know? Yeah, it's more a smokescreen, if anything. Like, yeah. all the shocking stuff that happens during elections usually are hiding more normal things that we should be worried about more. Yeah. Like, this person is an incompetent president. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, stage four syphilis. Yeah, there's that. Oh, yeah. Which one had that? All I was talking about myself. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> were we not? I thought we were just coming to Is that in. how syphilis works? <laughs> Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Zach Bornstein and Adam Todd Brown for bringing so much to the table here. I feel like we really packed this one in with stories and facts. And like I said at the top, overall perspective. I think it is helpful to know about the gross and dumb and embarrassing elections of the past to not be totally crestfallen if some of that bleeds into our present day election. We should still work on it. We should still make it better. But it also helps to know that it's not totally novel. And in our food notes, uh, it's no surprise at all that we will have a bunch of sources and references and cracked articles digging into these elections from across American history that were uh, not impressive, that were not us at our best as a democratic nation. I particularly want to point you to two sets of things. One of them is a Vanity Fair article and a Mother Jones article that both get into the 2004 Ohio situation, because that's that's probably the most uh, important bad election thing we talked about, where a whole election could be swung through a state not conducting its election properly. And the other one I want to point you to is sort of the maybe the silliest of all of them, which is that petticoat affair that happened under Andrew Jackson in 1830 and 1831. It was the wives of the president and vice president and cabinet members all arguing in a way that changed the path of American history. It made Martin Van Buren the eventual president. That made his opponent, William Henry Harrison, the eventual president. John Tyler takes over for William Henry Harrison and then outlines a lot of the things we do when a president dies by setting the precedent for that. I, I could talk about American history until I'm blue in the face and you can't see, but I am actually pink in the face. I'm doing great. Either way, uh, there's a lot of footnotes here about just how our elections have worked in a way that is very strange and silly and everything else. And in addition to all that, I hope you will check out our amazing guests today because we got links to their work. Adam Todd Brown is podcasting all the time over at the Unpopular Opinion Podcast Network, also guesting on many things and doing comedy shows from time to time too. So look him up at the links in the food notes. And also please check out the writing and more of Zach Bornstein. We've got some New Yorker pieces he's written and also links to shows he's worked on like that show Alternatino that I, I really hope comes back because they're doing very fun stuff. And beyond all that, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Ryan Connor and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A thing that only two sitting presidents uh, have ever really used. You forget that Obama and Trump are basically the only ones. So it's going to be remarkable, I think, when a third president uses social media a bunch, right? Because they can either do it the Obama way or the Trump way. And then I think that's going to kind of be locked in as far as how it operates, uh, because individual presidents uh, really set the tone for the whole thing. 
My own Twitter account that has my own tone is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitzagram. And I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. That's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free internet stuff tips, and so much more. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>